Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to local news in social artistry right here on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. And I'm your host, Dick Dalton. Each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. And if you noticed uh, the title, Glocal News, that's sort of the mashup of local and global. And my guest today is uh, really a mashup guy. <laughs> uh, and a social artist, I might add. Uh, he's building a more humane world. So, uh, hi, Joe Polacco. This is week number two. I think you're one of three people that have had a week number two. So welcome back to Glocal News. Glad you're with me. Well, thank you, uh, Dick. Uh, I would thought for a while there you were going to call me a masher. <laughs> well, no, not you. That's not me. That's not <laughs> no, although you've had your uh, probably your time in sports, uh, as all of us have. Mine was very temporary. Uh, my foot was stepped on, so that was a mashup of a kind that I'd <laughs> rather not talk about. <laughs> so, Joe Polacco, uh, Emeritus Professor in Biochemistry. You came to Columbia in 1979. That wasn't, Columbia wasn't your first teaching place, though, was it? My very first teaching place <clears throat> was not Colombia, but Colombia. Ah, this is the Kali story. The Kali story. I'm trying to think before before Colombia, I was a graduate student, but I was on a research fellowship. So I wasn't obliged to teach, mm -hmm. although I did give seminars mm -hmm. and I did tutor. I did tutor some kids from from Durham, Durham, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Well, Coming here in 1979, I was just finishing my Ph.D. and completed it in 1980. So as you're coming in, I'm moving on past. And uh, and here we are, what, 40 years later, finally getting to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> I think some Columbians might have... Uh, learned a little bit more about you though a couple of years ago you were interviewed for vox and i think probably had a nice article about you uh do you remember doing that i remember and i remember the uh oh this is terrible don't don't reach my age but you already have uh, <laughs> well you're the same <laughs> age i am joe so hey you know what can i say yeah i got you by a few months a couple of anyway yeah he did a wonderful job he did a great, he not, he not only interviewed me, he actually got in touch with sources. Ooh. Like he was like a journalist. Amazing out of University of Missouri School of Journalism. It, it, fantastic, he hit all, yeah, he hit all the, all the points. Well, I'm, I'm sure he got a good grade on that too, if, he, <laughs> if he's still in that uh, position. Uh, it started with a, a really cute little story about you playing ball and being bored out in the field because nobody was hitting your way and you saw kicked a rock or something and, and a spider jumped out at 
Do you? I need to know what a little bit more about that story and why, why it's even there. Uh, spiders well, was not your thing, was it? Well, my nickname was Spider Polacco. Oh my! I missed that. In fact, uh, I think I even have it here. You can't see it on the radio, but one of my nameplates is sitting uh, over a desk. Spider Polacco. My my first wife got it for me. She pulled some strings and got the university to make a nameplate, Spider Polacco, <laughs> my office door. Uh, I was enamored of spiders for a long time. Mm. But this particular, and that's one reason why Bill Eberhard and I connected uh, in Cali, Colombia, but that's, I'm jumping way ahead now. So, uh, yeah, it was Brooklyn. It was, uh, I was a young lad. Uh in my teens somewhere are you at are you at stuyvesant yet Stuyvesant. i had no i don't think i went to stuyvesant yet Mm -hmm. i was in maybe eighth or ninth grade Ah, mm -hmm. so i spent my three my three i went to a junior high school so i went for the ninth grade Mm -hmm. so my uh my last my three high school years were in stuyvesant but i think this was before stuyvesant and I was uh, playing some a Sandlot ball. I forget what the league was. Could have been Babe Ruth or whatever. Please, the athletic league. And we had batting practice. And batting practice is boring. I love the way they do it in the majors. They have a pitching machine. Or they have a coach throw the ball. There's no catchers because everything they throw is hittable. So anyway, it's just long, and and everyone play, you know is out there in the field and hoping the ball comes their way and. I'm out there in center field with about seven other guys. And uh, so I, I'm losing my concentration in, uh, on what's going on. And this was a, a, a city field, which was not well-maintained. It was between <laughs> Bensonhurst and Coney Island for all you Brooklynites out there, right on Gravesend Bay. And uh, it was called Four Diamonds, but there was nothing jewel-like about it. So anyway, so I'm out there in the outfield and I just absentmindedly kick a rock because there were rocks out there as well. I kick a rock over and what do I see? A spider. And it was a black widow spider. And, and you I knew, knew you it. knew what that was. I knew what that was. Oh. And I, I got a little stick and I just kind of coaxed it to over. And I saw that red hourglass. It was beautiful. Mm. Black widow spiders are beautiful. Mm. So I ran in, uh, got a box uh, that, that held a baseball brought it back out to the outfield and coaxed the spider in the box. Uh, and I took it home. <laughs> and it turned out that mama spider was uh, expecting. Yeah. <laughs> and she, uh, and I, I had a, a jar, a glass jar. My, my grandmother used to, uh, give me glass jaw. She didn't like the idea that I was keeping, she called it ivermi, ivermi, like worms and, you know, little crawly creatures. But uh, in that jar, uh, Mama Spider made uh, three egg sacs. And son of a gun, they they hatched into little baby black widows. Although some were widowers. They didn't know what what fate awaited them. Uh, So that was just a little story, that a little vignette Mm-hmm. that that young uh, reporter decided to lead off with. Yeah, and it, it demonstrated your curiosity. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I, I, you know, I love nature. Uh, I mean, I lived in Bensonhurst. 
Uh, I lived on a very busy street. Uh, there was an L going overhead. There were open air fruit markets. There were stores, little, you know, this was before the big box era, of course. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was tough to find, you know, examples of nature, but I was able to. Uh, that little spider incident was one of them. Mm -hmm. Another one was going to uh, Prospect Park or even Central Park, take mm -hmm. the train. Mm -hmm. the, the elevated line went right, right through my street. Uh, or uh, even going to the the New York Transit Authority train yard. So just before you get into Coney Island, hmm. it was this like swampy expanse where they they kept their old train, uh, the old cars, or they refurbished them. But there was lots of wildlife in there, snakes hmm. and frogs and so on. Hmm. <laughs> I think the mob uh, had, you know, threw some of their bodies in there, but I never came across them. <laughs> Did you do this as a, a loner, or did was there a group of friends that had similar curiosities? I was pretty much a loner in those days, mm -hmm. but it's tough to be a loner. It's, it's tough to have this private, you know, passion, uh, and and just be unknown. You know, just do it incognito. It, it was tough to do it. So uh, we we, don't, we lived in three small rooms in back of our store, my father's store. I was able to make kind of a semi-study laboratory down in the basement where my dad kept his carpet and you know his his uh, inventory. So I was known. I was known as a weirdo, and, and that was probably <laughs> one of the reasons why I got the nickname Spider. Uh -huh. uh, and and so yeah, uh, but the thing was, I was kind of a hybrid in a way. I was a kid of, of the streets, of the neighborhood. I played ball. The whole reason why I found this spot was I was on a ball team. Sure. I played ball. Uh, I could defend myself with my fists when I had to. Hmm. Uh, I was known for having a short temper, so people kind of stayed away. <laughs> uh, they didn't get in my face that much. So, yeah, I was known. And then after a while, it became like almost a positive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did... Uh... We haven't talked much about your mom, Vina. How did she feel about your spider collection? My your, mom's your interest. My mom showed true motherly love. Uh, I, I'll never know how repulsed or fearful uh, <laughs> she was, uh, but she allowed me to indulge my interests. And my brother and I, too, we, you know, we, uh, I said there were snakes in that train yard. We, I would bring home snakes and mm. they had pet frogs and so on. So it was okay. It was okay with her. They weren't upstairs in the house. Mm -hmm. They were downstairs uh, in that uh, in that kind of uh, dungeon-like basement. <laughs> this is a very, very old building on a very old street. Uh, oh, so your dad, was he a carpet? Yeah, so he Got sold... He sold linoleum. Oh, linoleum, huh? He okay. sold linoleum floor covering mm -hmm. and floor covering. And his he was my stepfather mm -hmm. uh, from a Sicilian family, from a large Sicilian family from near Palermo. Uh, my mother, my mother's family was from near Naples. And so they never, my, my mother and father could never agree on the proper Italian. Of course, you know, up in Bologna, they didn't, they, those were both foreign languages to the folks up in Bologna. It was kind of hilarious. Uh, they didn't. They could never agree on cooking, on language, on anything. So uh, my 
my father did find out about the Black Widow, and he went a little pazzo, a little nuts. So he got rid of it. <laughs> you know, it was rubbed out. Mm-hmm. It was rubbed out. I mean, he not only rubbed it out, but he tried to rub out the memory of it. You know, Ooh. he just he buried. You know, so he he wasn't happy about the Black Widow, but he accepted uh, non toxic, you know, little critters and pets. Mm. You know, little iguanas and so on. <laughs> yeah, he was okay with that. And I had a butterfly collection. I had an insect collection. That was oh, okay. Wow. Okay. That was okay. So you were sort of scientific from the get go. Yeah, I was kind of nature boy, and and I, I kind of got into, uh, like butterflies, for instance, uh, in a very Brooklyn kind of way. Uh, I may have mentioned this in that in that Vox article. I'll try to make it short. Uh, there, uh, I was in New York, so we're communi- you know communications capital. Even then, we only had like four channels: ABC, NBC, and CBS. But then there were a couple of local channels, and one of them. Uh, was transmitted from, the, I think, the Empire State Building, but they were a New Jersey station, had this thing called The Jungle. It was a show called The Jungle. Hmm. Uh, it was kind of cheesy, but they 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 had a, a documentary of a guy who used to go out into the tropics and collect butterflies for the uh, Museum of Natural History in New York, mm-hmm. which I love to visit. I just love to visit. Oh, okay. they, they had just endless miles and miles of, of specimens. of uh, Anyway. So I'm watching this show and uh, it shows this guy trying to fight, you know, trying to capture this really rare moth and so et cetera. They call it the Coleoptera, which I know was wrong because that's the uh, that's the order of beetles. But I forgave them. But then they had on the show uh, a, a an elderly guy. He had a Yiddish accent. His name was Glantz, his last name, G-L-A-N-T-Z. And he ran a, a business called Butterfly Art Jewelry. So he was trying to sell us, you know, some items, you know, some jewelry. But he also was, a, he had, he had a, a contact with collectors. And they would send him specimens and he would sell them to hmm. collectors. And it turned out that he was in Brooklyn. His headquarters was in Brooklyn. But it was in a bad, bad neighborhood. But I had to go there. I had to go there. I had to see his operation. So uh, my, I took my brother along, my poor kid brother. I always drag him along. And we, I didn't even know where the neighborhood is now. Maybe it was Bedford-Stuyvesant, which now is, you can't even afford to live in Bedford-Stuyvesant. But it, or maybe it was Bushwick. But it wasn't a, uh, it, it wasn't a, uh, a neighborhood that, make, that made you, uh, you know, it wasn't like the street where you live neighborhood. No. Mm-hmm. So I found, I found a place. And the door was locked, of course. It was a storefront. Oh. It was a storefront, and, and the windows were covered. I knocked on the door, and it opens a crack, and the guy looks out, and I say, I want to see your butterflies. So he lets my brother and me in. Whoa. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. He, showed, he, he started taking out specimens and showing me stuff. He got me so excited. Uh, and so that was kind of a start. So, and, and when I lived in Cali, Colombia... Uh, uh, and I was good buddies with Bill Eberhard, mm-hmm. who was a Spider-Man. Well, Bill Eberhard was into uh, sexual reproduction strategies of insects sure. and other critters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, and strategies are important because it's what drives evolution and selection, etc. 
So Bill uh, really helped me uh, indulge myself in hobbies and we would go out and collecting trips. And Bill had no, absolutely no shame, no embarrassment, no inhibitions. If he saw a specimen that he wanted, he would run after it no matter where he was. Could be in a cocktail party. Because he never he never had a butterfly, he never had an insect that far. And he always carried it without the without the the stick handle because it, that took up too much room. So I recall we were, we went on a collecting trip. I lived we lived in Cali or near Cali. He lived near Cali, but we went to Buenaventura, which is a port town on the Pacific coast of Colombia, a rough place. And we're just driving through the streets, and he sees a morpho. These beautiful morphos. They're iridescent. Mm. Uh, they're just amazing, amazing butterflies. Mm. And he sees one. And before I could, I say, look, Bill, look. And he's out of the back of the car. He's swinging that net so hard, so ferociously. He never, he never really caught the thing in the net. But the wind of his, of his swing drove the butterfly to the ground, and he was able to pick it up. <laughs> wow. That's exuberance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exuberance, exactly. And, and I remember having uh, territorial battles with his wife. They lived outside of town, uh, which was perfect for them because they were naturalists, as I told you. Uh, uh, and uh, I remember having territorial battles because I, I, I caught a, a rare uh, iridescent butterfly. It wasn't a morpho, but it had metallic iridescence on its wings. And it had two kind of very delicate ash-like appendages on those wings in the back that when he folded the wings over, they looked like antennas or something. Hmm. Uh, it was a camouflage. But I remember I was, I was sitting there and in, in, out there uh, outside of Cali. We were, we were talking baseball, I think. And, and this thing goes by and I just reflexively grab it. And I look at my hand and I go, oh, no, I got it. It's beautiful. And, and I think I put my hand in a freezer. <laughs> uh, so to, you know, to numb the butterfly without my hand going too very numb. Uh, and we had this territorial battle. Like, well, you know, you caught that on my property. Right. So that's mine. And, well, yeah, but I caught it. <laughs> I still have it. It's right. Right. Wow. What a deal. So that was uh, way back. Uh... So that was way back. So I graduated. So I, I got my PhD, uh, let me think, in 71. So this was like 1972, 73. Mm -hmm. That's going way back. Sure. You got your PhD from Yale? Duke. Last week you had mentioned that you were in New Haven. and That, that was, was my your... first real job. Oh, okay. So you weren't at Yale teaching, or maybe you were. My wife was. Ah, okay. Mary Schaefer. That's right. Exactly. Mary Schaefer. Uh, we uh, both had our PhDs and we both went off to Cali. Mm -hmm. Mary taught and had a research program. She had students. I had my own lab. And then after a couple of years, we came back. She had a, a, her third child. Mm -hmm. Tough woman. She's a tough woman. Man. Uh, she had a third child, uh, was going crazy with two young kids at home had that third child, and then she got the good news that her application for a National Institute of Health postdoctoral fellow came through. So she went off to Yale, uh, which was wonderful news because initially the news was not good, 
uh, she had a position in a laboratory and it turned out that the head of the lab had had to use his uh, his limited budget for something else. Ooh. There was uh, a man, something that came down from Yale administration. But anyway, it, it, it turned out okay. So we were, we were both, we were, we were running parallel careers. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah cool. Well, we've uh, reached our 20 minute mark, uh, Joe. So let me reintroduce you here on Glocal News in Social Artistry. Uh, 89.5 KOPN FM. Here we are in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, although Joe and I are Zooming, so uh, we're elsewhere. I am anyway. Uh, my guest today uh, is Joe Polacco, uh, Emeritus Professor of Biochemistry at Mizzou. Uh, I'm Dick Dalton, your uh, host each week. Uh, this show has been on the air for four years now and uh, celebrating our fourth anniversary. And uh, I just want you all to know that if you do have an interest in old shows, uh, you can find them by going to uh, on Facebook or I, what do they, they call it? Meta now? Is it Meta or Meta? Anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a, a page called Glocal News in Social Artistry, and it has uh, most of the uh, recordings still there. And there are some recordings still available on KOPN's uh, archive. So please look for Glocal News in Social Artistry under Programs or under Archives and uh, see some of the past guests as well. Uh, speaking of past guests, uh, Joe, if you don't mind, uh, one of my past guests was uh, Dr. Gabrielle Malfatti. Uh, yes. Over at the education uh, department and in, in international uh, work. You've met her, I understand. Yes, I first met uh, Gabrielle <clears throat> we, uh, on, on international committees, mm -hmm. uh, international engagement committees. Mm -hmm. uh, this was before the, the shutdown and, and so on. When I was a little bit more active, I, uh, I, had, I had been an emeritus professor since early 2008 i believe mm -hmm. so uh anyway my association with the university was kind of uh, on the wane but but i i kept up my international uh contacts and i met gabrielle uh, on one of those committees and when she learned that i was from that i had lived in cali mm -hmm. then we kind of had a special connection because she's from colombia she's from cali She's oh, from, I didn't know she was actually from Cali. She's not Carreña, yeah. <laughs> well, she she was a teacher at Lincoln University is where we met. Is that uh, right? Before she uh, moved up to Mizzou. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. She got her doctorate and moved to a higher ground, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it shows how old I am. I, I when, when I when I said, oh, you know, small world mundo pequeño i was in cali i lived in cali for two years and she looked at me and said well then you must be a salsera you must be a salsa dancer and i said no because in salsa hadn't been invented when i was there we didn't dance salsa in those <laughs> days it, it may have been danced in cuba or or maybe some neighborhoods and you know some on you know in lower manhattan you know, so that's how long ago I was in college. <laughs> that dated you, right, right. How interesting. So you all, did you all go to Columbia together on a trip uh, as part of Yes, that? We, we went to, uh, 
Yes, we were a group uh, that uh, it was. It's, the group was really organized by the College of Education, mm -hmm. and and uh, MU had uh, a uh, an agreement. I, for, I forget what the Spanish term for it was, but there was an agreement on acuerdo and and uh, between uh, the College of Education of MU and the university called uh, Uniminuto, which is kind of a play on words. Would so, you say that word again? We had a little interference as you turned. So it's uni, U-N-I, mm -hmm. minuto. Oh, yes, minute. yes. So uh, it's a play on words because the uni uh, could be uh, short for university. Mm -hmm. For instance, when I was at the Universidad del Valle, our baseball team represented Univalle. Okay, so that's a kind of a shorthand way of referring to universities. But the minuto came from uh, a minute for God, un minuto de Dios. Mm -hmm. And it was a priest in, uh, in Bogota who had asked for some time, some radio time, and they wouldn't give it to him. So uh, he, uh, they bargained him down, so they gave him one minute. So he called his slot Un minuto de, uh, de Dios. De Dios. Uh -huh. A minute of God. And so then he, he established this university. And, and, it, and it was so successful. And it was for people of lower economic echelons mm -hmm. in, uh, or classes. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they expanded and they did, you know, they've done community work. They have gardens. They have uh, just, just an amazing uh, network. Mm -hmm. And they've, uh, they've drawn in uh, kids you know, from disadvantaged backgrounds mm -hmm. and done a wonderful job. So anyway, we went down there. It was my first trip. Uh, and it was just, it was wonderful. It was, it was beautiful what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm blanking on the, on the lady who actually spearheaded that. But uh, after that, there was COVID. And then I, I uh, when they made a return visit to MU, I had an accident and I almost, split my head on a fall so Ooh. that got me yeah i'm okay now it's just mm -hmm. it, it, the only effect now is mental <laughs> yes yes it's a, just a flesh wound just my brain <laughs> terrible you're terrible yeah i know <laughs> so that was in the last 10 years when you oh yes it was yeah. within the last five years yeah so this is a, so, a recent trip i can i can tell you because they gave me a calendar so the calendar they gave me is for 2020. So it had to be 2019 when I was there, not that long ago. Not that long ago. Uh, I did another, well, I had uh, Dr. Malfatti as a, a guest on the show uh, some time back. And I think we talked about that uh, minute for God uh, story. And then later there was another teacher there at Mizzou, uh, that came on and I'm trying to find her name. And, and right now I'm blanking on it too. So uh, we'll pass on that one. Another person that we had in common in terms of had been on this show is Tracy Barnett. Yes. And I think uh, your relationship or your, at least your wife's relationship with Tracy, um, how far back does that go? Because oh, Tracy hey. was here in the at Mizzou in the eight, late '80s, right? Early '90s. Yes. Uh, so I I did a sabbatical, another sabbatical, in 2005, I believe it was. 
in Mar del Plata, Argentina. And I, I am bringing that up because I know what year that was. That was 2005 or maybe four, but it, <laughs> that kind of anchors it. And Tracy visited us while, uh, while we were there. Okay. And Tracy and Nancy were pretty tight. So I've, and I knew Tracy from well before that time. So probably going back to even when I came back from Spain in 2000, uh, 2001. Well, Adelante was a newspaper that was printed yes. there, a uh, Spanish newspaper. I don't know, maybe Spanish English. Was it a bilingual newspaper? It was bilingual. Yeah. Yes, it was bilingual. And Tracy had something to do with that starting because she was a journalism major at Mizzou back in the day. Exactly. Yes. She uh, she was probably the driving force behind it, uh, but almost right up there with her, a dynamic duo was Nancy, my wife. Hey, okay. okay. So they Nancy's, what's Nancy's maiden name or name at that time? Malugani, Nancy Malugani. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, it's an Italian name, but she's from Uruguay. Uh, so yeah, so so they they were driving forces on that, and they had an editorial board, and so they went over. It was bilingual, so they, you know they, they had to go over you know, each language and and argued over phraseology, etc. Uh, but it was very intense. It was a wonderful newspaper. They published my, uh, the poem I just read to you about my uh, my mother defiled. They mm -hmm. published that oh, wow. uh, in, in one of their issues. That both versions, Spanish and English. So if someone's listening to this, that was what we ended last week's show with was uh, A Mother Defiled, uh, a poem that you wrote about uh, New York City and the 9-11 uh, uh, tragedy. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, back to Tracy. So so uh, Tracy was, uh, uh, and Nancy uh, are still very tight. Okay. Tracy has gone off. She's uh, She was doing things in Colombia, but then she went off to, uh, projects, I believe, in Peru and in Mexico, and I don't know. She's uh, she's just uh, a journalist at large. The Esperanza Project is her baby right now, as far as I know, uh, she might still be, um, and that's uh, she's been in Guadalajara, I believe, Mexico, as her base. Um, last time I talked to her, anyway. She was back in Colombia for a visit uh, not too long back, but uh, I didn't get to see her then. Well, I'm glad to know about that connection. It, it's great to see the network of different guests on the show and how they've interacted in other times. Completely yeah, it seemed, it seemed Colombia was a smaller town then. Uh, uh, Tracy ha ha had a way of making things smaller, more intimate, tighter. Uh, when she visited us in, in Mar del Plata, uh, she would just bring people out. She would just engage people in conversation. Uh, so we, you know, we had our own Malecon, our own Rambla, our own waterfront. And I remember we were walking along the waterfront and next thing I know, Tracy is engaged in conversation <laughs> with complete strangers and they were completely at ease with her. She's just, just made to be a journalist. <laughs> great. That's a great story. Great. Thank you. So, after your two years in uh, Colombia, what was your next teaching engagement? 
it wasn't teaching, it was research. Research, okay. So I, I had, uh, as I said, I had this uh, uh, transformation or uh, this realization that perhaps I should make my research more, more relevant, more applicable. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that maybe working on plants would be the way to go. And then, you know, the, uh, if you use as a model organism, a food plant, you don't have to go very far, you know, to apply whatever you learn to improving that plant. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I was in Colombia and I, I was, we hosted a, a conference. Uh, I think it was called Genes, Proteins and, and Enzymes, something like that. And it was a series that was, that was organized by a retired prof from University of Tennessee, a wonderful guy. And since it, uh, the, the University of Valle was hosting it and I was a faculty member, uh, they asked me to give a talk and I, and I met a, a young fellow, for, uh, an American who completely energized me. Hmm. Uh, he spoke about uh, reducing plants to cell culture, tissue culture of plants. Mm -hmm. You know, we have tissue cultures of you know, animal cells and so on, mm -hmm. but using plants. And while they were in the tissue culture stage, imposing selections on them, genetic selections, so that the trait that they acquire by mutation, when expressed in the regenerated plant, will now have a more valuable genotype and hence phenotype. And that completely turned me on. Mm -hmm. and, and I could connect with that because I understood metabolism and I was biochemist. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I wrote to him and he, and he invited me to his laboratory to join his laboratory oh. at, in Brookhaven, Long Island. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that was my transition. I turned out, it turned out that I was there for nine months, uh, maybe even less. Uh, and and so Brookhaven is near Brooklyn, is near New York, and so I was I jumped into like the, the this family uh, environment, uh, encompassing family milieu, uh, and uh, with the day I arrive in the laboratory, uh, Doctor Carlson says, "Joe, uh, I I have I'm leaving, I'm leaving Brookhaven, and I have offers from Michigan State." And he mentioned some other place. He said, you're welcome to come along with me. I mean, he, he was hot stuff at the time. His name was Peter Carlson, hot stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, or you can look for a job. <laughs> so I looked for a job and I got a job in Connecticut, at, in New Haven, at the, at the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station. Is that before uh, Mary got her job at Yale? Uh, no, that was, uh, that was at the same time. So, yeah. mm -hmm. so when I moved to New Haven, we moved to New Haven and Mary moved into that job mm -hmm. after giving birth and so right, on right, and, right. Mm -hmm. and getting that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so she moved into a job at Yale. So we, we were well-established in New Haven. So I, I had a, I had a job in the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station and uh, what I did there, 
made enough uh, of, a, of an impact or uh, drew enough attention so that when I uh, when I decided to apply for university positions, I was made an offer by the University of Missouri. Wonderful. Wonderful. And here I am. Yeah. So can you just give a, the smallest uh, nutshell of what that research was that made some notoriety for you? Funny you should ask that. I, I was thinking back. I'm, I'm sitting here in my study. I'm looking at a binder of reprints, and they're gathering dust. But I remember the passion and the competitive spirit and the work and so on that went into each one of those papers. But if I had to think about what got me the job at Missouri mm -hmm. from what I did in Connecticut, I would say defining a role for nickel, the metal nickel mm -hmm. in metabolism. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turns out that uh, uh, nickel is an essential component of the enzyme urease, Oh, good. Uh, which yeah. hydrolyzes urea to ammonia and mm -hmm. CO2, carbon dioxide. And uh, I, I had done some studies in cell culture, mm -hmm. by the way, where I could really uh, control the confined compo uh, defined components of the growth medium mm -hmm. and demonstrate that nickel, the absence of nickel, uh, was toxic if urea was the sole nitrogen source. Mm. It, uh, at an optimal concentration, it, it uh, induced uh, beautiful growth, and at a higher concentration, it was toxic. Oh. So in other words, it was the old, the good old bell curve. Mm -hmm. So it was an essential element in, in, uh, in plants. If I may just say this, mm -hmm. uh, there are many trace elements that uh, we tend to ignore in uh, like molybdenum, et cetera. Uh, and we tend to ignore, and I don't know if American agriculture really pays enough attention to it. I did, a, I, in the two years I spent in Brazil, I was very impressed with some of the companies, young companies that were set up improving plant growth by applying tra uh, trace amounts of kind of exotic elements, including nickel, mm -hmm, nickel, mm -hmm. cobalt, copper, mm -hmm. molybdenum. So, okay, so that, that's what got me the job here. And, uh, and, and nutrition is, was big here and still is. And so mm -hmm. there was uh, a resonance. Mm -hmm. Well, we're gonna take a, another break here, but when we come back, I'm gonna see if you had any memory of a researcher at Lincoln University who was focusing on zinc. And uh, she um, came up to Columbia often and unfortunately had a fatal um, accident uh, right trying to head back to Columbia on ice and then ended up in the hospital and so on. I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but you may uh, think about this zinc lady. As I reintroduce the show to our guest today and listeners uh, all across the land, this is Glocal News in Social Artistry uh, on KOPN, your community radio station uh, right here in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, it's December. We're having unseasonably uh, warm weather, but it may become a new season <laughs> as our globe continues to warm. My guest today 
is Joe Polacco. Uh, this is our second week together. Uh, Joe is an emeritus professor in biochemistry, uh, University of Missouri, and we found that he has taught uh, a couple of years down in Cali, Columbia, uh, done research. I keep saying teaching because I think of myself as a teacher, so uh, forgive me, Joe, if, if, if most of your time is research, but I, I keep saying teacher. <laughs> uh, welcome again, Joe Polacco. Thank you, Dick. Uh, I'm glad you brought up that that research teaching dichotomy, because I think that the best researchers are the ones who teach, uh, who who train, who train and teach other researchers, ah, students. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you if you've done work in the lab, if you've made a discovery in the laboratory, you can you can write a story and tell it to your students. Make it like a mystery. Oh. You know, it's all about the story. Mm -hmm. It's all about the story, especially when there is a, a notorious or an infamous or well-known <laughs> scientist involved. Uh, so, yes. So uh, zinc, you mentioned zinc. Mm -hmm. My mom, I'm drawing a blank. I'm not remembering uh, this lady, but zinc is 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 of real importance. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I wouldn't call it a micronutrient. It's found in many enzymes. Uh, and it's a component of enzymes that are involved, often involved in nucleic acid metabolism. So DNA replication, RNA transcription, uh, recombination, et cetera. And, the, uh, and zinc has a uh, kind of a Batman's uh, villainous, competitor uh, cadmium which can re, uh, which is carcinogenic and and especially show, so if it can displace zinc from the active site of enzymes involved in gene expression which is nucleic acid metabolism molnar oh oh i know that name yeah molnar, molnar. um gabriella was it no we did, um, yeah, Gabriella Molnar, right, M-O-L-N-A-R. And she had a, a research lab um, on Lincoln's campus, and uh, a lot of her work was in northern Africa uh, in terms of zinc study. So uh, another researcher, and unfortunately her life was cut short much too soon, oh. uh, but thought maybe you might have had a... a a moment with her and that was in the early very early 80s she she died before 85 so oh um, so yeah so yeah. i was you were just getting established well i was in definitely in my active research phase i mean i was uh you usually could find me if you didn't find me in the gym you found me in the laboratory <laughs> not okay. i don't want to give the impression that i spent all day in the gym i mean i i, I most of the time i spent in the laboratory mm -hmm. and and often i i cut Okay, here's a true confession. Often I cut faculty meetings because there was an, ex an important experiment going on in the lab. Mm -hmm. All right. And it's so all I think I made, It's yeah, all I think it's the right value system. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the clock is ticking. And if I'm not there at that moment, then it's, uh, I'm missing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we're partially focusing on your new book, 
uh, A Life's Rambling, but you had a first book, uh, which was more of a memoir, and you titled it Vina. And we really haven't talked about mom too much. So uh, would you like to do some tribute work for mom? I would, I would. My uh, All moms are special. Uh, and so why did I write a book about my mom? Uh, because she wasn't special only to me. She was special to a lot of people in our Brooklyn neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Everyone was family to mom. Mm -hmm. uh, she was an equal opportunity mother to everybody. <laughs> she knew everybody. Uh, she made friends. She was charitable. She was good. I mean, she had a temper, uh, but she could, she could cook, you know, like, you know, you talk about Italian food. My mom could make, you know, <laughs> could cook. Uh, so why did I write a book about her? Well, when she passed, I really, I had reconnected with her and with Brooklyn. She had a recurrence of breast cancer. And in the last 14 months of her life, she was, she was fighting a losing battle. And I made many trips, at least 14, at least monthly trips mm -hmm. to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So I reconnected with mom, with the culture, with the cooking, with the dialect, with friends the neighborhood. And uh, when she passed, I asked people to submit little kind of anecdotes, little vignettes, mm -hmm. stories, mm -hmm. you know, funny remembrances. And I got them. Cool. And I'm looking at them. And I gave myself an Italian dope slap. Hey, <laughs> Joe, what a stunad. You got the makings of a memoir. And now you know the rest of the story. So gotcha. I put it together. Yeah. So I put it together. With pictures, uh, I might add. With and, pictures. Uh, With which pictures. really are so powerful to, you know, put a face with a, a story. And, and you, can, you can still get the book in the local bookstores, Yellow Dog and Skylark and even D&H Drugstore on Broadway. And, or you could just write to me and I'll send you, <laughs> I'll send you a copy. That's great. And it's called Vina, a Brooklyn Memoir. Yes. Oh, yeah. good. Thank you so much. And then we've mentioned uh, a second book, but not given it too much attention. And you said it was a novel. Uh, yeah, it, it was a lot tougher to write a novel. This scientist learned something, uh, especially if you write historical fiction, mm -hmm. because you've got to be factual about the history, mm -hmm. even though it's fictional. You know, there were fictional accounts or you can you've you've uh, uh, You've mixed, you know, the, the, the ingredients of family history to make a, a story, but the it has to be enveloped in a, a factual historical environment. And so I, I did a lot of research, a lot of reading, and uh, and then I, and then keeping generations straight was <laughs> was a challenge as well. But anyway, it uh, people uh, people seem to like it. It's what's the title? Oh, sorry. It's Giovanni, my, my great-grandfather, Giovanni Street Urchin of Naples. And spell Giovanni. G-I-O-V-A-N-N-I. -N -N -I. Okay. So I forgive you if you say Giovanni, but it's really Giovanni. Okay. Giovanni, uh, Street Urchin of Naples. And uh, I may have never written the book if it were not for my mother, Vina. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sixth grade, I had to write a story, an essay about a relative. And I went to school in Brooklyn and my neighborhood, Bensonhurst, was half Italian, half Jewish. And the Jewish kids often had these very pithy, poignant stories about escaping the Holocaust, their parents and their grandparents. So I say, hey, Ma, what can I say? What can I say? She says, well, you know, your grandfather uh, was a very poor boy and he had to run away from home. And he made a living out in the country, kind of like a soldier of fortune, doing favors. And uh, he came across a rich kid on the other side of a villa fence. And he, and he befriended this kid. This kid, it sounded now as if he had some, uh, some form of, uh, of uh, autism. Hmm. Uh, but he opened the kid up. And the kid's father was so gr- uh, grateful, he let him in. And Giovanni asked only that he'd be able to attend the tutoring sessions. He learned how to read. And the rest is history. And he, he made his way to to America, to Brooklyn, America. Oh, wow. That's your grandfather. My great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. Yeah. Great. And so the novel is his memoir, in a sense. It's, yes, it's written in, uh, it's written in, in, in his person. Exactly. Wow. He narrates it. Great. Yes. Well, there's something else filtering through my mind. About... Well, I, I have something oh. here about Vina oh, and okay. Burris. In in the uh, life's rambles. Oh sure, you're going to read uh, something for us. It's it's short. Let's see here. Let's see here. Great. Uh, so it, and it brings in Honduras. So uh, when I was in Honduras on that school project, uh, I came across a young fellow named Jose. Okay, so I was called Jose mm-hmm. uh, at the time because I was I was on this team. We all took Spanish names. So I, so I took on the name Jose. So Jose and Jose it, uh, met uh, uh, the other Jose, the Honduran Jose, took me to meet his mother, whose name was Vina. Oh, that's right. Right. The, the same as your Vina. mom. Mm-hmm. So I had never met a woman named Vina at, up till then and not since. Vina. So uh, and then Jose, years later, gets in touch with me. He turned out to be a successful businessman. He got out of that village and did well. And our moms passed within months of each other. Oh, so he wrote me, now I'm not gonna read the Spanish, I'll only read the, uh, the English. So he wrote me um, an acrostic about his mom in Spanish. And I wrote him an acrostic about my mom in Spanish, but I'm not gonna read the Spanish, I'll read the English. So it spells V-I-N-A. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, Jose Ayala's, which I translated into English. So valued your nobility, always at the ready, immediate help for the needy and unsteady, never indifferent to the world around, a motherly soul, your goodness abounds. So that's Jose Ayala who wrote about his mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I wrote about my mom. Uh, again, remember V-I-N-A, virtues, simple but from a powerful soul indomitable with generous passion unfold never a selfish motive even self-abnegation a love for all no matter their life station Mm -hmm. so anyways that's a little plug for the book but and then the the spanish version is also acrostics 
are in the book. Now, I'm not familiar, I should be probably, but I'm not familiar with that word, acrostic. What is what is an acrostic? Oh, man, you're going to ask me to define it. It's, uh, and here it's uh, poetic lines that begin with a letter that, uh, so the lines go left to right, but they begin, each line begins with a letter that read vertically, uh, give you a name. Oh, okay. Or, gotcha. or M is for the many things she gave me. Yeah. Always okay. for the, you know, something like there that. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. A, and, and called an acrostic. Well, I, I learned a, a brand new word today. Thank you. Yeah. I hope I use it right. Yeah. <laughs> sure you did. Sure you did. You've, let me guess, you've never been to Africa? No, 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 no. Oh, man, you know, that's. But it, you wrote an ode to Africa. I did. I did. Well, how, I did. Did, how did that work? Well. Something to do with the Caribbean. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I, I, I am still a member of the Hispanic and Latin American faculty uh, staff. No. No, this is the. Uh, I'm a member. I, I am a member of the Hispanic and Latin American Faculty and Staff Association, which changed its name to Voz Latina, which sounds like a radio station. Uh, but I'm, I was. I'm also a member of the uh, of the uh, graduate and professional student Latino network. Okay. Okay, and, I, and I'm forgetting uh, <clears throat> the name in Spanish, but so. They 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 ran a, a poesia viva a live poetry event every year, and this particular year the theme was the Af uh, el, el Afro Caribe, the African Caribbean. Okay, and so uh, I wrote a poem for it mm -hmm. uh, about a an idealized African woman. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a love ode to a woman I never knew. <laughs> but also kind of a, a, an ode to Africa. Okay. And so I wrote that uh, in Spanish and English. And I don't know if I have time to go to read it, but. Well, we have about four minutes, uh, five minutes. So what do you think? One, two, three, four, five, six. So if I could do like uh, eight, uh, 45 seconds per stanza, uh, that might be take a little while. Well, why don't we just do the first stanza to get a flavor for it and whet our appetite. Okay, it's African farewell, despedida africana. Go where you may, my precious gem. So my African is leaving. Go where you may, my precious gem, and may happiness be ever at hand. And gaining it, you can finally transcend the suffering to arrive at your holy land. And... Uh, Por donde quiera que vayas, preciosa, que la dicha no te quede lejana, y cuando la consigas será valiosa, aumentando tu brillo, mi joya africana. So that was the English and Spanish Good. of the first stanza. I'm glad you, we finally got you to do some Spanish too. That was great. Yeah, I hope I don't get. I hope you don't lose listeners now. <laughs> You've been a, a KOPN guest before, haven't you? Yes. How long ago was that? Do you recall? Years it was, ago? It, it was going back to the years where I was good buddies with Tracy Barnett. Oh, uh, okay. You know, I, 
I was on the advisory board or the board of directors or whatever it was called mm -hmm. uh, of Adelante. Right. And we had meetings and, and we discussed policy. And so uh, that got me uh, an interview mm -hmm. a couple of times on KOPN to advertise events that were sponsored by the student associations, oh. et cetera. And I was interviewed in Spanish on KOPN. How about that? Fantastic. <laughs> A great history. Well, what's your next project, Joe? Well, I, uh, I am writing kind of a semi-memoir. Uh, this, this goes more to my maybe Italian-American background. Uh, uh, there was a, a book that came out in, in 87 by a guy named Salvatore La Puma, mm -hmm. who grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, my neighborhood. He was born 15 years before me. And he wrote a series of short stories based on life in that neighborhood. And I grew up in that neighborhood, so I know it's all the places are factual. Mm -hmm. uh, and the culture was stronger than, than I recall the one I grew up in. Anyway, it won an award. It won the Flannery O'Connor Award for short stories that year. And so I've, I've decided to, uh, instead of calling my book a boy, uh, The Boys of Bensonhurst, I'm calling mine A Boy from Bensonhurst, A Man Beyond. And so the, uh, the, the uh, transition point is when I graduated from college. All right. Well, we look forward to it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Truly, yeah. Next next year, right? 2022. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to run it by some folks who, uh, who I hope will enc encourage me to continue. Well, Joe Polacco, I am just delighted to get to know you. And uh, thank you so much for being our guest two weeks in a row on Local News and Social Artistry. Happy holidays, wish you the best. Same and, to you, Dick. It's been wonderful uh, getting to know you and chatting with you. And greetings to Nancy, who I haven't gotten to meet yet, but uh, hope to sometime. Oh, you will, you will. And friends, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.